0: A few weeks back I saw a post on Facebook that said, if you are a Christian, it is not because you found Christ, but it is because Christ found you Now let me repeat that to you again, it was a couple weeks ago looking on Facebook. It said, if you are a Christian, it is not because you found Christ, but it is because Christ found you. Now at first glance, when I first hear that or when I first read that I think, wow, Christ loves me. Christ found me. Praise the Lord that Christ found me. Yes, Jesus surely is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 in search of the one. And I thought, well, praise the Lord that Christ found me. But then I thought for a moment and I flipped the words around in that little saying there on Facebook. So if you are not a Christian, it is because Christ has not found you. Wouldn't that have to be true? If one of those is true, wouldn't that have to be true as well? If you are a Christian, it is because Christ has found you. So if you are not a Christian, it is because for some reason Christ has not found you. Now maybe, I don't know the reason, maybe it's because he doesn't want you. Maybe it's because he doesn't love you, not like those surely that he found. Or maybe it's because he Wasn't able to find you, maybe some failing on his part, some weakness on his part. And all of a sudden, as I looked at that saying, the saying became very abrasive to me. Now, here's the question from all of that Are there some people God does not intend to save? Are there some people that for his reason are outside of his plan of salvation? Are there some that he is not looking for? And if so, what does that say about God? Now, the real question of all of that can be summed up like this. So is the gospel good news for everyone? The gospel translates good news. We're evangelists. We're proclaimers of the good news. So honestly, is the gospel good news For everyone. Well, today in our study of Acts, we're going to address this huge issue. And I'll just tell you, it is a huge issue. We're going to address this important issue for the Christian church today. Our message is entitled Good News for Whom? Good News for Whom? We're still looking at the response to Peter's first sermon preached there in the Christian church, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 40. Good News. For whom? Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 40. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence of the reading of God's word. God's word says this And now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for our gracious, kind Savior, Jesus. We're thankful that in his finished work of the cross of Calvary that that our sin, as we put our faith in you, is forgiven. That our our certificate of debt is paid for, is wiped clean, paid for in your own blood. Lord, I'm thankful that we have redemption for, for salvation, for deliverance through Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray as your people today, as we, as we think about that, that we would be enamored with you, that we would put our eyes upon you and that great glory would go to you, our Savior, our Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that we have it, that we hold it, that we're not having to wonder and guess as we, as we work our way through the days of our life, but we have the actual word of God. Thank you, Lord. I pray now as we, as, as we begin to study it as your people, I pray that you would speak, and I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts, and I I pray that we would be shaped today in in the hearing, the studying of your word, and Lord, as always, I pray that in the influence of this church, in the influence of this message, in this very hour, if there is one here that doesn't know you, that today might be the day of their salvation, Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart, that you would remove any hindrance, and I pray that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that today might be the day of their great salvation. Lord, we come and we submit all this to you. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. And I pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now again, we're in our third week. I thought that we could do it in one, it's gonna end up being three weeks, looking at the response to Peter's first sermon that he preaches there in the Christian church. Now, remember, as we've gone through this, he preached the Word of God. He he quotes Joel. He quotes David in, in a couple of different Psalms. He preaches the Word of God. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preaches the sacrificial death of Jesus for sin, his burial, and his actual physical resurrection. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also in his message, he has confronted his hearers of their sin. He's been very bold, very plain, and he has confronted them of their sin. And then last we see that he has preached Jesus as Lord and Christ. And really overarching all of that, Jesus is the Christ. He is the remedy for sin. Jesus is Lord and Christ. Then in our verses that we've been looking at, we find the response. Remember there in verse 37, they, upon hearing this, they they cry out, what shall we do? What what is it that we shall do? Now, as we've moved through these verses, we have crossed some, some really pretty huge foundational truths that we hold as New Testament followers of Christ. What shall we do? And then we then we have the answers. And then in these verses, in these answers, we've we've crossed some huge truths that we hold as New Testament followers of Christ. Now, I've said that all the way through Acts and and we better be ready because it's going to continue to happen all the way through Acts, we are going to have to wrestle with and we are going to have to consider and hopefully we're going to have to to be able to come to a conclusion on some of these big concepts, big ideas that we hold as New Testament Christians. Now, if you remember, so far, biblically, we have seen two weeks ago that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. No work saves us. No thing saves us. Baptism does not Save us. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. No work, not baptism, nor any other thing saves us. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And to say different, to teach differently, is not our gospel. It's not the truth. And we, we've seen and we know that the absence of truth is a dangerous thing. And where there's the absence of truth, danger and Satan can enter in. Well, it is not the true gospel Then to say we're saved by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, baptism is important, but it does not save us. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Then, last week we saw, biblically, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, when we are saved. We we are filled with the entirety, the fullness, the completeness of the Holy Spirit of God in that instant that we are saved. And, and, And that's the truth of scripture. When you are saved, you receive the totality, the wholeness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now think about this, to say differently, to say different would represent an incomplete salvation. It would mean that we need something else for a victorious life. We need something else to live the Christian life and we have to go do something other than the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Be very sure we are filled with the completeness of the Holy Spirit of God when we are saved. Let me say this. Those aren't always popular conclusions. Those for sure aren't popular declarations. Now, some would say, well, if you believe that, that's fine. I'm I'm glad it's what you believe, but you don't have to say it, do you? Those are not popular declarations. And I'll just be very honest with you. There are many, many fine people who would disagree with both of those declarations. But we need to be very sure today and understand our goal is never to appease people. Our goal is never to get along just for the sake of getting along. But listen to me, our goal is to know and to embrace and to uphold the truth of Scripture. That is our goal. Listen, to know the truth, to actually know it, to to not just know it, but to embrace it. And then as the church, to uphold. That is our goal. If you're not sure about one of those, if you're not sure about something you hear, go to your Bible. Go to your Bible, go to your Bible. Don't go to a denomination, don't go to some expert. Listen, go to the Bible. We wanna know the Bible. We wanna embrace the Bible. We wanna uphold the Bible. Listen, if you're, if you're sitting here saying, no, I'm not sure if I understand that, go to the word of God, go to the Bible. Well, today is a similar subject, in that it is highly debated, it is controversial, and it can be. In fact, it is a divisive issue. Today, our subject, our question is: Does God call some people to be saved and not others? Does God enable some folks, some people? To be saved, but not others. Does God intend some people, and listen, I'm not talking about a, a class of people, I'm talking about specific people. Does He intend for some specific people to live and to live in their sin and to die and to die in their sin and to go to hell as the punishment for sin in His sovereign choice? Again, Is the good news good news for everybody? Is the gospel the good news good news for everyone? Did you ever, ever stop and think about that? This subject is changing the face of Christianity in our day. I believe that. This subject is fast changing our denomination, our Southern Baptist denomination. It is quickly changing in the face of this subject. I believe this subject is key to our understanding of the gospel. So it is an important thing to look at. We're gonna go to our verses, starting in verse 38. Verse 37, brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift Of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, hearing the message, hearing the truth, the Bible says they are pierced to the heart and they respond by saying, What shall we do? Well, Peter answers. Peter tells them, Repent, turn from your sin, receive Jesus as the Christ, as the remedy for sin, and show it through baptism. He tells them that in that salvation, they will receive the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want you to see that this morning. That is the proper response to the gospel. That is the proper... What what is the proper response to the gospel? Listen, if you have heard the gospel and the gospel has been perfectly laid out that it it is for sinners and it is the remedy of sin through Jesus Christ and it is the forgiveness of sin applied to you through your faith in Jesus... The proper response to the gospel is that seeing your sin, that you would then see Jesus as the hope for sinners and you would receive Jesus by faith. We're going to see that's what happens here. That is the response to the gospel. Then we move to verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Let me read that again. We're gonna look very carefully at verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now, let's look at this verse. Starts off and it says, for the promise. For the promise. What, What is the promise? Now, some would say, that the promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit. They would say in the flow, the exact flow of the verses, that they receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we are saved. And it is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe it includes that. I believe it involves that. But I believe it is all of this. It is all of the promise of the gospel. It goes back to to verse 21 when Joel says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe the promise is the fullness of the gospel. Now here's the promise. The promise is if you will repent and turn to Christ, you will be saved, you will be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Read that section of verses, that is the promise. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you're saved, you'll receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The promise is, if you will repent, if you will turn to Christ, you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. The promise, listen to this, here's who it's applied to. It is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For you would include those that were in the hearing of of Peter's sermon. Now, evidently, there's 3,000 people that made decisions. So evidently, there are, there are thousands of people. And so he's able to say, as he addresses the thousands of people, the promise is for you, for all of you. The promise is for you. Listen, this was a vast crowd. He didn't say the promise is for some of you. Over the vastness of the crowd, he says the promise is for you. Thousands of people. The promise is for you. Then he says, for your children. It is for your kids. It is for not just you, but also the generation after you, and their kids as well. It is for the next generation. The promise is for your children. says, and all who are far off. Now that's talking about the Gentiles. That's talking about those that weren't there, those from the other countries. It's talking about the pagan people, not the Jewish people. It is talking about all people. It is is for you over the thousands. It's for you. It's for the next generations and it is for all people. It's for these Jews that were there, but it's also for the people, for the Gentiles everywhere. Now, I want you to be sure and mark the scope of that. I want you to be sure and understand the gravity of the scope of that. First off, it is for all those that are hearing. It is for all of those that are hearing, all of them. Second, it is not just for those that are near. It's for those that are far. It's not just for those that are local. It's for those that are global. It's not just for this generation. It is for all generations. Do you see the scope of that? It is for here, there, and everywhere at all times. The promise is for all people of all times. Verse goes on. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself, The promise, now listen, the promise is for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Who's the promise for? You, your descendants, your people, all people, the Gentiles, those near, those far. For all that the Lord will call to himself. So here it is. Here's the issue. Who does he call? Because it's for all the ones that he calls. That's what it says. That's what the word of God says. So here's the issue this morning. Who does he call? Does he only call some? Are there some that he's not going to call? Who are those that he's going to call? And what is the determining factor? The promise is for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Who are those that he's going to call? I want you to listen this morning and I want you to hear this and I want you to be sure of this and I don't want you to misunderstand what I say this morning. I'm gonna try and make it as plain as I can, but I want you to hear and I want you to understand and I want you to know what I'm saying. Listen very carefully. The call of God for all people is to repent, to believe on Jesus Christ and be saved And we can be confident in that. Listen, God calls all people to be saved, not just a few people, because God made a way to the cross of Calvary for all people to be saved and not just a few people. And I want you to know that is to the glory of our gracious and sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ. His call is for all people. His salvation was secured for all people. And so his call is for all people to the glory of Jesus. Today, what we call, some call, reformed theology. Sometimes it falls under the title Doctrines of Grace bad name. Sometimes it's referred to as Calvinism, following the teachings of John Calvin. Those things, those titles are the same thing, basically. And they teach for one thing, that Christ only died for a limited people, the elect. It's called a limited atonement. Christ only died for the elect. He didn't die for all people for sure. He only died for those that would, by faith, put their their trust in Jesus Christ. He died for a set of people, a limited set of people. It teaches a limited atonement. It also teaches that he gives the ability to believe to only some. That you can't believe unless he gives you the ability to believe. And he only gives the ability to believe to some. And so he enables some to believe, but he doesn't enable all to believe. And only those that will be saved are those that he has enabled. In fact, most people, according to scripture, broad is the way he's not going to enable. Most people, he's not going to give the ability to believe. That is their teaching. Now, I know the verses... I know the verses they look to, and it is is a complicated subject. I'll tell you that. It is a deep subject, but I want you to hear from my mouth in this pulpit this morning. I surely believe that is a false doctrine and a false teaching. I believe the testimony of Scripture is clear, and listen to my mouth. I believe the testimony of Scripture is clear. I believe that Jesus went to the cross of Calvary for every last sinner. I believe he went to the cross of Calvary for all sinners. And I believe when Jesus shed his blood as the sacrificial lamb of God, the perfect lamb without blemish, it was for all sinners. And I believe when the payment was paid and when he walked out of that grave in resurrection power, he offers to all people salvation in Jesus Christ. Glory be to our Savior, Jesus. Was there evidence of that? Let me just tell you, we could go on for two weeks and I could just show you verses. Is there evidence for that? Or is that just your emotional belief? Well, let's just keep it easy. Let's just look at the next verse, verse 40, right here with us. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. My my translation has an exclamation point there. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and he kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Let's look at verse 40. It says, with many other words, Words. Now I want you to understand that's not talking about different words. It is talking about, it literally translates a great many words. Now I want you to start to picture what's happening here in verse 40 a great many words he kept on speaking he was using words and many words and he kept on speaking and he kept on and he kept on it wasn't just a sentence that he spoke over their heads he kept on and he kept on and a great many words were used it says he solemnly testified it means translates to declare seriously earnestly intently weightily weightily it is a serious thing it's not hey let me just say this and if you get it it's fine if you don't someone will get it somewhere down the road it is a weighty thing it is a serious heavy thing and so with many words he keeps on solemnly testifying says and he kept on see the picture it is repeated it is repeated. He is pressing on. He's looking for an opening. He's looking for some sort of understanding. He's looking for an ear that will turn that way. He keeps on. He keeps on. It says exhorting them. Now I want you to listen to the definition of this word. Teaching them, that's not what it says. Telling them this truth, and he does, that's not what it says. Exhorting them. Literally translates, inviting them, calling them, listen to this word, invoking them. Peter did that. Peter, with these many words, was inviting them. He was invoking them. He was urgent. It was a weighty matter. He was calling them. He is invoking them. Folks, understand this is not a giving out of information. This is a passionate plea for a response. Oh, that you would hear. Oh, that you would respond. It's a plea for a response. He invites them. He invokes them. Saying, continual tense, saying, see the picture. Be saved from this perverse generation. Perverse generation translates crooked generation. And so I want you to see this this morning. Having preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you see what's happening in verse 40? Having preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peter is confidently boldly calling to them, invoking them and inviting them, be saved, be saved. And with many words, be saved. Oh, that you would be saved over the top of thousands of people that you would be saved over the top into the earshot of thousands of people that you would be saved for all regions, for all people, for all generations. Be saved, be saved, be saved. He invokes them, be saved. The cry of his mouth is the cry of his heart. Be saved. Saved translates rescued, preserved, delivered. Be saved. Does that sound like it's only for a few? Does does that sound like that's limited in scope, all generations, those near, those far? Does that sound like it's only gonna be for some, some sovereign choice? I don't know what makes that choice. Does it sound like it's just for them, but it's not for all? Does that sound like it's just for a limited few? Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53, six. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All. Mark 10 45. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Not few, but for many. John 1 29. Behold, the next day, he saw Jesus coming and he said, This is John the Baptist as Jesus tops the hill. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of a few. No, that's not what he says. The sins of the ones that he chose. No, the sins of all. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Listen, it's not a limited atonement, so it's not a limited call. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. First Timothy chapter two, three and four. God our savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And I could go on and on. He died for all so his call is for all. Good grief. Pretty worked up on that. Does that matter? Does that that matter? Isn't this really not central to what we believe? I hear that all the time. Isn't this really just not a big deal? Saved by faith in Jesus Christ, that's okay. Does this really matter? Is this important? And that's the question. Is it important? Today I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to show you why it matters. And I'm going to show you why it is a dangerous doctrine. I'm going to show you why it is a dangerous teaching. And I'm going to give you three reasons this morning why it matters. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. You're going to have to think about these. Three reasons why it is a dangerous teaching. First is this. First one's very practical. First is this. It changes our urgency and our methodology in sharing the gospel. It changes our urgency and our methodology, our methods in sharing the gospel. Now, some would say, well, no, it doesn't. That, that's our role anyway. We have that command anyway. We're going to be obedient to the command anyway. That, that doesn't change I want you to be very sure today if God is going to call who he's going to call and if he's going to save who he's going to save, the result is, you know what, I can let my guard down. You know what, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Well, you know, he gave you the command. You know what, I'll be disobedient. It's going to be all right. Somebody else will take it up. And it changes our urgency in the handling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't. Listen, in practicality, it changes our urgency in the handling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, it changes our methodology. It changes our method. Our Southern Baptist Convention, it's two mission agencies the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, maybe you've noticed this, the last 10 years, there is a push that has taken over not for individual witnessing. Remember, that used to be the deal. Go be a soul winner. Not for individual witnessing. Not that we're gonna send 6,300 international mission missionaries out to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. The push now is for church planting. If you noticed that? It is for church starting. And that is the method of our convention now. It is church starting now. Why in the world is that? And why that sounds like a good thing? What's wrong with that? Here's the idea. We don't call people to put their faith in Christ anymore. We don't invoke people. We don't persuade people to get saved anymore because we might reach somebody that God didn't intend for them to get reached. And so instead we'll start a church and they will find the church. That's much safer. That's much more Organic. I want you to listen to me this morning. That is false. We do not start churches and hope that those that God saves find it. We lead people to faith in Jesus Christ and they are the church. That is the commission of the New Testament. Nowhere does it say start a church. Nowhere does it say plant churches. It says the good news is the power of God and the salvation. Preach the good news in season and out of season. Lead them to Jesus Christ and they will be the church. Changes our methodology. It's the same reason people have quit having invitations in their church. Well, I didn't know why that happened. It's one of the reasons they quit having invitations in their church. Have you noticed that? They either don't have one at all, or they say, Well, if you'd like somebody to pray for you, if you'd like to be prayed for, this is a chance to, to be prayed for. And they're no longer calling people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what they say they've said it to me. It is an emotional call to get saved. That's what an invitation is. It's an emotional call to get saved. Well, I want you to listen to me, friend. You better believe it's an emotional call to get saved. The call of the church of Jesus Christ is the call of Peter, and it is be saved, be saved, be saved. With many words, be saved. It is our hope, be saved. Invoke, invite, call. Be saved. Why is that dangerous? This belief has made us timid to call people to Jesus. And because of that, listen very carefully, some people will miss Jesus. They'll not be confronted with a decision to put their faith in Jesus and they will be eternally lost. Do you understand what that's saying? Do you understand why Jesus said go out to the hedgerows and and compel them? Why Paul said compel them, persuade them, preach it? Do you understand why this is a big deal? We have become timid in the sharing of the gospel. More than that, we have become timid in calling people to faith in Jesus Christ and because of that some people will miss Jesus Christ and spend eternity in hell. Very simply, it makes us timid in calling people to Jesus. Every reformed Calvinistic believing person that I know believes if you're not one, that you haven't looked at the verses long enough to be one. And they would think, you know, what if you'll just look at these verses and you'll see them right, you'll become one. And I believe that's what they think. If if you're not one of these, that you haven't looked at the information long enough to be one. And many of those folks, and I'll just tell you this is an honest thing many of those folks think it is a dumb thing to call people to Jesus. It's a dumb thing to have an emotional invitation at the end of the church and to call people to Jesus. It's a dumb thing to lead people to Jesus. And they write books like Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. That's the president of our convention, wrote a book saying, quit, stop asking Jesus into your heart. And it is a dumb thing. Listen to me, dear Lord. I hope that I never get past the point that I won't preach. There is hope in Jesus. There's forgiveness in Jesus. And you're gonna have to make a decision. Put your faith in Jesus. That is the call of the church. First, it changes the urgency and the methodology of how we handle the gospel. That's a terrible thing. Second thing is this. It changes the nature of God. Wow. It changes the nature of God. That is a huge issue. That is a huge discussion. We could go a couple months on that, but I'll hit the high spots here. I want you to be sure this morning, our God is righteous. Now don't forget that. Our God is righteous. It means He always does the right thing. He always, you can count on it, He does the right thing with the right motive and the right time. Our God is righteous. Our God is holy. He is holy. He's not like us. He's so holy that the hosts of heavens sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. Our God is just. He is perfect in just justice. He's not tempered by the sway of people. He's just. You want to know the right thing? He's going to do it because he's just. He's perfectly just. Not only that, he's loving. He's loving. He's perfect in love. You want to know what love is? You look to him. He is love. He's perfect in love. He's merciful. His mercies are new every day. That's what the Bible says. He's gracious. He's so gracious. He's kind. It's who he is. Listen, I could go on and on and on. I could get all the verses out. That is who he is. And so, and so you tell me how a God could create you knowing that you would sin and not give you the ability to believe in the remedy for sin, Jesus. You can't believe it doesn't give you the ability. He doesn't give you the ability. Who, in fact, for you doesn't provide that remedy because He didn't die for you. Who, in effect, created you for eternal damnation and takes great. Glory in that damnation. You tell me how that God can be called loving. You tell me how he can be merciful. You can tell me how he's gracious. And I'm not talking about rubber words that we change the meaning. You tell me how he built you and he didn't give you the ability to get saved. And he holds you to that standard. He sends you to the depths of hell. You tell me how that's merciful. You tell me how that's just. You tell me how that is righteous. And their answer to that is, well, God can do what he wants to do. Listen to me, that's not true. He cannot be who he is not. And I want you to be sure today in every situation, and yes, brother and sister, when it comes to salvation, he is loving, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is just. And brother and sister, he is righteous. He'll do the right thing. He does the right thing. That is our God. Well, he has a different idea of mercy. No, he doesn't. Mercy's mercy. He has a different idea of justice. Who are you to tell him about his justice? I didn't tell him. He told me he's just and his justice stands. It changes the nature of God. Last one. Third one, and it's a big deal. It steals the glory of God. That belief set steals the glory of God. Now listen, follow with me, listen to this. Here's what I think about this movement. I don't don't think these are bad people. I believe this entire movement is built around Defending the biblical reality that God will judge sin, that God does judge sin, that hell is real, and that not all people will be saved. I believe that. I believe that is a hard thing to reconcile. Not all people are going to be saved, and those that are not saved, they're going to be ju- justly punished and God is sovereign, yes, he is in all of those matters, I believe that's a hard thing to reconcile, and I believe that system tries to fill the gaps. I believe that system tries to to reconcile, tries to defend the reality that all of those things are true, and at the same time, God is great in grace, and he's no less sovereign. I'm about done, listen to this. You want to know the glorious thing about our God? I I was working on this yesterday and I thought, man, this is hard. Man, I got to look here. And then I got to this part. You want to know the glorious thing about our God? Do you want to to see the glory of our God? Here's the glorious thing about our God and it's going to be awesome. Our God, now listen, let's listen to this. Our God is just but he's equally merciful. The world can't do that, oh, but our God can. Our God is kind, he is so kind to us. He is kind, but he's no less holy. The world can't do that, oh, but our God can. Our our God is absolutely righteous, he is totally righteous, but at the exact same time, he is amazingly gracious. The world can't do that, oh, but our God can. Our God is powerful and he is totally sovereign and in his sovereign power, he gives man free choice. The world can't even understand that. Oh, but our God can. Our God chooses us, but he's secure enough to know that true worship, it would be that if we would choose him and the world can't do that, oh, but our God does it. And when we start to wonder and we start to ask, how does that reconcile? How does that reconcile? How does that ever make sense? Listen to me, friend. It does only in Jesus. And the crazy depth of this absurd dilemma, all points to the glory of Jesus, it all reconciles in Jesus. Perfect Justice, perfect grace in the person of Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. It points to Jesus. It reconciles in Jesus. It has its end in Jesus. Amen. It points to Jesus. The reality is, we can be sure of a sovereign God. He is sovereign in power. We can be sure He's righteous and He's just and He's holy. And friend, good news for us as sinners. We can be sure of his grace and we can go in confidence and we can call to everyone. Be saved, be saved, be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and there is a tension here. There is a mystery here. You are perfect in your justice. You're perfect in your graciousness. and Both of those things are shown and poured out in Jesus. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would come and we wouldn't have to say you're less than sovereign. We know you're totally sovereign. We wouldn't have to come and say you're less than just. You uphold justice. You poured it out on your own son. But we wouldn't have to shrink back and say, oh, for all people, you're less than gracious. Lord, you bought it all. You paid for it all at the cross of Calvary. You're totally gracious. So Lord, we praise the name of our Savior, Jesus. More than we can understand, more than we can comprehend, we know it reconciles in Jesus. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that we would be urgent in the method, that we would be urgent in the message, that we would not be apathetic, we wouldn't be tired of the message, but we would know that as a sinner goes by, there we would go. Were it not for the grace of forgiveness, a new start that we receive by faith in our Savior. Lord, let us carry that message to a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray for some in this service right now that do not know you. I pray that today they see God as loving, he's gracious, he's kind. I pray today in the hearing of the gospel, today might be their day of salvation, Lord. I pray that you move, that you're glorified in our midst. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.